This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. This is episode 146. In this episode, I will tell the early history of trail 100 milers that were held in Great Britain starting several years before Western States 100 was established in California. Yes, for many of you, this will be a surprise. Get my new book, Classic Ultramarathon Beginnings, with the greatest details of the origins of races such as the Barclay Marathons, London to Brighton, Comrades Marathon, the JFK 50, and others. Get it on Amazon. Classic Ultramarathon Beginnings. It is the seventh book in the Ultra Running History series. Wow. Trail 100 milers started to be held in Great Britain in 1973, four years before Western States 100 was established in America. This piece of ultra running history is largely unknown to Americans who have been told for decades that Trail 100 milers began first in the U.S. In reality, Trail 100s were also known to be held in Mexico among the Tarahumara as early as 1867. Thus, recognition is deserved among several cultures and countries to those who dared to head out into the rural wilderness to achieve the distance of 100 miles on foot. In 1972, a British association was founded named the Long Distance Walkers Association, or LDWA. The LDWA started with 355 members. Eventually, the organization grew to more than 9,000 members. The LDWA defined a long-distance walk as any walk of 20 miles or more. They wanted to concentrate on rural walks. Local groups were created, a journal eventually called The Strider was published, and group walking events were established, referred to as social events. In the very early issue of their newsletter in 1972, it was written, Although our title includes the word walkers, this is not intended to preclude those who trot around the course of an organized walk. Some organizers specifically say that competitors must not run, but there can be no real check when most walks go over remote areas and, of course, when going down a 30% gradient, it is often impossible not to run. Formal challenge events were established that were up to 100 miles. These trail and cross-country events were marshaled with checkpoints to ensure walkers followed the route. Finish times were published and ordered by finish time. Finishes under a first-class time were recognized, but winners were not emphasized or awarded. They were not called races, but had nearly every attributes of a race. Competitive athletes quickly treated them like races. Starting in 1973, annual LDWA Trail 100-mile events were hosted each year at different locations on the Spring Bank Holiday Weekend. These Trail 100s could be classified as Mountain Trail 100s. 
They were mostly off-road hikes that did not have to be walked according to race walking rules. Running or jogging was permitted. Finished cutoff times for the 100 milers were eventually established at 48 hours. Some elite British ultra-runners would take part running, seeking to be the first to the finish line. Each walker or runner was required to walk with small packs containing certain items such as a course description, maps, waterproof jacket, clothing layers, hat, gloves, compass, whistle, flashlight, BB bag, and a first aid kit. Many checkpoints or aid stations were set up with food and drink between about 5 to 10 miles apart. At the checkpoints along the course, marshals checked the walkers and could pull anyone out over fatigued or behind schedule. Medical staff were at checkpoints to evaluate runners and help them fix their feet. All such conventions were devised years before the Americans established their trail 100 milers and aid stations. Founders of the LDWA were Alan Blatchford and Chris Steer. Alan Blatchford was from Onslow, England. He was employed as an aircraft design engineer and first became interested in walking after seeing a film of the 1948 Olympic marathon. Alan's first athletic activity was football, but rambling and road running gradually took over and in 1960, he organized the first Tanner's Marathon Walk. He did many other challenge walks himself. He had goals of walking every long-distance footpath in England and to compete in the London to Brighton race 25 times. By 1973, he had 12 finishes of that historic race. Alan decided it would be useful to have a newsletter to give details of such events, and thus the LDWA was born. Allen was always clear that the LDWA was for runners as well as walkers, but not about racing. He had many other interests, too. He helped coach a local Boy Scouts club pack in football and became a football referee. Allen was a sociable and pleasant companion with many friends. Blatchford shared his views of endurance walking in 1977. To many people, walking is still regarded as little more than a method of progressing from the bed to the breakfast table, or from the car to the office and back. Walking as a recreation may seem absurd to them. When it is discovered that a person is a walker, he is often looked upon as some sort of keep-fit fanatic. Walking for pleasure can assume a great number of variations. Chris Deere was from Woking, England. He left school at the age of 14 and worked in plumbing and heating. From 1940 to 1945, he served in the Royal Air Force, stationed in Iran, where he walked the Elberds Mountains, and in Cyprus, where he walked the Kyrenia Range. After World War II, he went into business with his brother in a plumbing and heating contracting firm in Surrey. He has always walked but took up eventing about 1968 after seeing a Tanner's Marathon poster in a village shop window. The event was for a 30-miler in 10 hours. He met Blatchford, who put on the event, and thus started their long association. By 1973, Steer averaged 30 miles per week, 1,500 miles per year, and competing in eight events. A hundred 
hundred miles, a hundred miles, a hundred miles. You can hear the whistle blow a hundred miles. In May 1973, the first LDWA cross-country trail 100-mile walk was organized from Winchester to Eastbourne, England, called the Downsman Hundred. The event was organized by Blatchford. Since all this was new, many requirements were discussed to put on a safe event, such as what must be carried in each walker's kit or pack, the right distance between checkpoints, whether mandatory rest periods would be needed, and if support crews should be encouraged. It is interesting to consider that this was in stark contrast to the first 1977 Western States 100, when checkpoints were very far apart without aid stations, and the staff had very little experience knowing what runners would need for a safe event. A four-page event instruction guide with course directions were provided. Thirteen checkpoints were set up along the way, where walkers consumed 300 gallons of drinks, eggs, bacon, sausages, rice, fruit, and chocolate. The course climbed about 6,000 feet along the way, up and down the rolling hills of South Downs, for much of the course, they didn't even go on trails, they went cross-country. For example, After four and a half miles, the track, trail, apparently finishes at a plowed field, but continues on straight across the field. Later, cross a grassy field, descending down a hill. If two red lights are visible, make towards these. There were 125 starters, ages 18 to 67. Only eight walkers had previously completed a 100-miler. Most had never walked over 50 miles. The 100-mile walk or run started at noon on May 26, 1973. Chris Steer gave a blast on his whistle from high on the old Winchester City Hall to signal the starters to begin. Alan Blatchford, wearing a conspicuous red jacket, was the pilot for the first 20 miles. He led the main group at an average pace for a while to help them navigate the right course. But alas, after four miles, he led the group down the wrong way, ending up at a keep out sign. He then led them back to the course and most didn't even know he made an error. At checkpoint four, 35 miles, they set up a real haven for tired walkers with a bank of beds and chairs from which to partake all manner of delectable foods. This provided too much for some walkers, and they succumbed into retirement. Stanley Jewell, age 33, a Chory postman, walked the entire way in his working uniform. Alan Phillips, who had held the 50-mile world record of 5 hours and 10 minutes for several years, did not finish the difficult course, quitting at mile 35. The first finisher was David Rosen, age 20, from Stanmore, England, with a time of 22 hours, 20 minutes. He was the first in the world to finish a modern-era 100-mile trail race in under 24 hours. Rosen went on to finish London to Brighton, 52 miles, 22 times, his last in 1996. In all, 65 runners finished within 48 hours, and 57 quit along the way. Three of seven women finished, 
Diane Yvonne Pegg was the first women finisher in 34 hours 30 minutes. Race director Blatchford said, I think this is the longest properly organized cross-country walk ever held in Britain. Although there have been many races of the same distance on the road, I believe the Downsman 100 is the first event of this distance to be held over a cross-country course. It is a very complex thing to get the right people at the right place at the right time. A long survey was sent out to participants of this first trail 100-miler. The chief causes for retirements, or DNFs, were blistered feet and the effects of hot weather. Among all participants, an equal number wore boots versus shoes. Many treated their feet with talc and Vaseline. A few did preventative taping with stretch cloth tape. The large majority of participants did not have a support crew meeting them at checkpoints. The most popular drink was tea, with orange juice a close second. A lot of walkers reported that they felt ill effects, including sore or swollen feet, hallucinations, nausea, sunburn, thirst, stiffness, etc. In 1974, the Peakland 100 was held. A circular course was used in the Peak District, organized by the High Peak Group over the Peak Bogs of Derbyshire, led by Dick Chell. Before the event, contestants gathered at the Village Hall in Hayfield, England, where their equipment was inspected, and they were given checkpoint cards that would be stamped upon the arrival at each checkpoint. All checkpoints will be able to supply water or orange squash. Tea, soup, bread, glucose, and salt tablets will be available at most checkpoints. Other checkpoints provided tinned fruit, rice pudding, sandwiches, and chocolate. They certainly understood what runners would like at aid stations. Drop bags were collected and delivered to one of the checkpoints. Entrants without a support party should ensure they have sufficient warm clothing emergency rations, torch, and spare batteries. The course was not marked, but each entrant received very detailed directions to navigate the course. The event started at noon. There were 74 starters. The first half mile was along a rising road from the town, and about a dozen super optimists were soon running at a pace that would surely see them home by midnight. Soon the route climbed away from civilization and out over the moors, forcing all to assume a more judicious pace. Due to the prolonged lack of rain, the normally strength-sapped squelchy bogs were remarkably dry, and some stretches were crusted over, thus giving good footing. Michael Gregson recalled, Eleven miles remained. No problems on the next section until we had to find the bridge across the goit with no energy to squander looking for it. Ask at that house, I suggested, knowing there wouldn't be anyone in. Wrong. There appeared a most attractive girl who gave detailed instructions, then recognized us as imbeciles and escorted us to the bridge. After getting lost a couple more times, he finally made it to the finish at Hayfield Village Hall. I collapsed into a chair, surrounded by helpers offering food and drink. I felt in need of a wash, but it was too far to the sink. A first aid man gently removed boots and socks. The final act of the 100 
was the agonizing ascent to the loft of the hall, ten steps of ten seconds each. 33 finished. The first finisher was Peter Dawes, with an impressive time of 19 hours 13 minutes. David Rosen finished second with 20 hours 34 minutes. These two were also the first two finishers in the inaugural LDWA 100 miler in 1973. Alan Blatchford, showing his running skills, finished third with 20 hours 45 minutes. In 1975, there were more than 500 inquiries received and 230 entries were accepted for the third LDWA 100 and the second Downsman 100 with 26 hills. Besides all the Brits, a small contingent from Holland and Belgium took part. The first class time was set at finishing in 32 hours or sooner. The standard time limit was 48 hours and the cutoff time was set to 50 hours. Finishers would be awarded a Downsman cloth badge and a commemorative certificate. The entry fee was only three pounds. 200 athletes showed up at the start line on May 24, 1975. The weather was cold and a heavy downpour of rain hit some of the field. Race director Blatchfield reported, a number of the most experienced runners went adrift in the later stages, but our last finisher claimed to have gone the furthest out of the way, to the tune of 20 miles. The staining division of the St. John's Ambulance Brigade spent many hours repairing walkers' feet so that they might resume battle. Despite the challenges, 125 walkers and runners finished a record at the time for finishers of a 100-mile race. 11 women finished. 11 men finished in under 24 hours. John Offley of Richmond, England, was the first finisher with a time of 18 hours 58 minutes. He was running so fast that several of the first checkpoints were not ready for him. Diane Pegg was again the first lady finisher with a time of 29 hours 47 minutes. The goal of completing the Magic 100 Miles is capturing the imagination of more and more walkers as they realize that an almost impossible task is within their reach. With the popularity growing, they predicted that a lottery would be needed in the future. The 1976 Cleveland 100 along the Cleveland Way National Long Distance Footpath in North Yorkshire, England was the fourth LDWA 100-miler. The route was point-to-point -point from Scarborough to Malton, England. With 200 starters, the race director was not pleased with those who wanted to run instead of walk, fearing for their safety, not understanding how much more fit and prepared they were than the walkers. He even wanted participants to group together at night for safety. Several of the 16 checkpoints that year included ham radio coverage. The route was truly rugged, and at times there was no trail. After passing through a gap in the stone wall, Bear diagonally left across the pasture to find a wooden footbridge over the beck. Go straight up the hillside and cross the ridge track. Carry on up the hillside, and after a half mile on this bearing, pick up track on the moor top marked with a series of posts. 
After the race, Tony Cresswell on the event committee said, We really scored for bad weather. Conditions were severe for walkers and for the checkpoint staff. The entrants were the most experienced and the strongest bunch ever to assemble for any walk of comparable toughness and duration. Because of the dreadful weather, only 70 made it to Malton within 48 hours. Another 13 were brought in by the sweeper. A participant said, Everyone dropped out because of bad conditions. We were walking in a torrential rain for about 12 or 13 hours, and this meant we had to battle through thick mud all the time. Peter Dawes was the first finisher with a time of 24 hours 14 minutes. It was his second LDWA 100 miler win. David Rosen again finished in second place with 25 hours 10 minutes. Five finishers had finished all of the first four LDWA 100s. There was some pressure among LDWA members on the leadership to be more accepting to those who wanted to run. Roger Cole wrote in early 1976, We are mainly in the association because we like a challenge, and having completed a long-distance walk, we'll enter again to do it faster the next time. On the first downsman, I walked all the way, and so the next time I had to jog some of the way to see if I could do it faster. I find jogging more economical of energy, especially when gravity assists downhill. I believe that the majority of the walkers like to see their finishing position, given though each event is basically an individual challenge. Others were proponents of establishing a maximum walking pace to weed out the runners, but the majority seemed to agree, quote, people tend to do their own thing, which is what matters. By 1977, the LDWA 100-mile events were well established. The fifth annual 100-miler was held, hosted at Downsman 100 for the third time. This was held several months before the first Western States 100. Sketched maps were provided for certain sections, although ordnance survey maps were still encouraged to be used. All entrants had to have completed at least one 30-mile walk recently, and nearly 100 had previously completed a 100-miler. A runner start wave was implemented for the first time to let walkers get on the trail first. There were 251 starters, including 15 women, making it the largest LDWA 100-miler to date. Blatchford described the start. The starting arrangements for the walkers went very well and lacked the previous chaos in the youth hostel. Just before noon, I performed the duty of the starter. Six hours later, two dozen runners were set off, all optimistically expected to complete the same course, but in a rather shorter time. Many of the leading walkers became joggers and thus arrived too early at a few checkpoints, with the result of having to wait until opening time. Soon after dark, the leading runners began to pass the back-of-the-pack walkers. The checkpoint at Coking in the dark was described as, quote, reminiscent of Hogarth pasture with lanterns lighting the barn and walkers either resting in straw or ravenously eating food. At other checkpoints, the participants could take refuge in athletic clubs and enjoy a hot meal. 
A nearly full moon made navigation on the course a bit easier during the night until a drizzle set in until dawn. A strange event took place when setting up checkpoint 9 at Ditchling, reported by Bob Ball. We made our way up onto the checkpoint. On arrival, we were greeted out of the dark by Rent-A-Mob, all armed to the teeth with pickaxe handles. This unexpected reception turned out to be a guard for the Jubilee Beacon that we were to share our checkpoint location with over the weekend. Once satisfied that our intentions were in the very least harmless, we became quite friendly neighbors. Boyd Millen of Keswick and Keith Arnold of Wareham finished first in 1831 for an LDWA 100-miler record. There were eight other runners who finished in under 24 hours. In all, there were 143 finishers, including eight women, with a 67% finish rate. In 1978, the Cleveland 100 was held again. It was recognized as being the toughest LDWA 100 up to that point, not only because the course was tough, but also the weather was usually severe in that region. Fewer walkers showed up than usual, but there were still 212 starters, including 26 runners. To put on the event required well over 100 volunteers and the cooperation from various agencies. There were 16 checkpoints along the way, including one major rest stop at mile 64. Many walkers, in over their heads, did retire along the way. There were several very difficult sections. At the major rest stop at mile 64, walkers were not allowed to stay there for more than two hours, and all who arrived there met that cutoff. The first finishers were Roger Baumeister and Brian Harney, who came in at 21 hours 16 minutes. In all, 111 runners or walkers reached 100 miles, the last arriving at 47 hours 14 minutes. One walker, Peter Parker, wrote a letter of thanks to the LDWA staff that included, The pains have left my feet, and I'm writing to tell you how very much I enjoyed this year's Cleveland 100. As I climbed up Baysdale, I was aware of a feeling of supreme happiness. I cannot ever recall such blessedness as in the superb dawn in the beautiful place. For me, Cleveland 100, 1978, will have the fondest memories in my life, and I want to thank you and your team for making them possible. In 1979, the LDWA 100-miler was at Dartmoor, England. A record 275 runners and walkers entered. A 10-page booklet of directions for the giant loop course, including compass readings, was given to the entrance. After a short delay waiting for the Deputy Lord Mayor, the walkers were loaded onto the double-deck buses for transportation to the start at Cadover Bridge, several miles away. The steady drizzle and mist looked a little ominous, and just about everyone donned full rain gear. Once out of the buses, the godly clothed crowd listened to a few words of advice from the starter, and then at 12.15 p.m. they set off on a giant counterclockwise circuit of the moor. Things didn't start out smoothly. 
as the crowd went a bit off course on the first hill and then screeched to a stop at a water-filled trench of unknown depth. Where the bridge mentioned in the route notes was, nobody knew. After various sorties to the left and right, long-jumping skills were tested with the result that most people prematurely wetted either one foot or both, and in some cases, a more extensive area. Gradually, the walkers were strung over many miles. After only ten miles, some quit. As darkness approached, the number of retirements increased. Fortunately, the rain had ceased, and apart from two heavy showers that had caught some of the back markers, the weather was ideal for such an epic journey. Well before halfway, the leading runners, who had started six hours after the walkers, began to pass the slower midday starters. Navigation problems were many. At one stage, about 20 walkers were struggling through bog and tussock grass, searching in vain for the path alongside the river Plym. Eventually, they decided to bed down until daylight. Others thrashed about in aimless circles, and a few went on to find the ford to Kedover Bridge. Keith Arnold and Roger Baumeister finished first in 20 hours 30 minutes. About a half hour later, the first walkers arrived, with a total time of 27 hours 11 minutes. Three other runners finished in less than 24 hours. That it was a physical tough course, there can be little doubt, when one realizes that one out of every two starters failed to finish. It must be mentioned that about half the retirements came from one overall group, the Royal Air Force, whose members were perhaps not quite prepared for the rugged terrain. But there were also some veteran 100-milers, including four who had seven LDWA 100 finishes. In 1976, after a checkup, a doctor told Alan Blatchford that he would live forever. The walking world was shocked when he died unexpectedly at the age of 44 in 1980. After his death, some of his friends got together and collected donations for a suitable memorial. The money raised was given to the National Trust to clear and fence an area of downland for sheep and grazing and to be called Blatchford Down. In 2022, the LDWA celebrated 50 years. The LDWA 100 has continued annually to the present day with up to 500 participants each year and an average finish rate of 70%. It is the oldest 100-mile annual series in the world. Only two years were canceled. 2001 because of foot and mouth disease in the countryside and 2020 because of COVID-19. The 2023 Elephant Baron Bowl 100 was their 48th 100-miler. This LDWA history is included in the new books, Running 100 Miles Part 2, A History, 1961-1976, through 1976, and Running 100 Miles Part 3, A History, 1977-1979, through 1979, available on Amazon by Davy Crockett. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. 
I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances.